this episode, I sat down with Dr. Gemma Newman to explore the concept of energy medicine. Gemma is a GP who is passionate about using lifestyle medicine to support health and healing. She is best known for being the Plant Power Doctor on Instagram, and she regularly speaks at plant-based events on podcasts. What I especially love about Gemma is her openness and her genuine desire to help people feel better and live longer. In this episode, we discuss the history of energy medicine, touch as a key healing modality, how Gemma came to study Reiki, how touch can help activate the parasympathetic system, which helps the body to self-heal, and healing as originating from within. We discussed so much more, and it was an absolute delight to interview Gemma, so I really hope you enjoy it. Gemma Newman, Dr. Gemma Newman, welcome to the Holistic Healing Project podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really excited for you all to meet Dr. Gemma Newman. She is a GP, a lifestyle medicine advocate. She is also known as a plant-powered doctor on Instagram. Um, She has lots and lots of followers, so you may well already have come across her. Um, And not many people know this, but she is also a Reiki master. And I found this out through a mutual friend of ours, um, and I was absolutely fascinated because I had a look through Gemma's Instagram, and there was no mention of (laughs) anything to do with energy medicine. You're outing Um, me today. So today is her coming out of the closet. And (laughs) um, I I mean, in all honesty, I I don't know that much about energy medicine at all. So um, what I'm really looking forward to is just learning from Gemma um, everything that she she kind of believes and and knows to be true. Um, So we're going to be taking this journey together over the next kind of hour or so. Yes. And what an exciting journey it will be. So this is the first time I've talked openly about my interest in energy healing. With my patients, I've certainly noticed that when you put a lot of good intention um, and compassionate love into your interactions, it tends to really help them in their own journeys. And I've noticed it in my own life. And the power of meditation, I believe, is also part of the energetic healing process. So for me, this was another step on that journey, but you know, when I talk about it, it does come with a certain amount of trepidation, knowing that it's not something that is really accepted in my traditional medical training. But that doesn't stop me from seeking and learning and growing through um, what I believe to be a very fascinating journey Mm. that I'd love to share with you. So yeah. Yeah, great. (laughs) I mean, if we just start with maybe what is energy medicine? So for some people, maybe they've never heard the term, they, they've no idea what Reiki is. I mean, as I mentioned, I've never had experienced Reiki myself, so it'd be really useful to just find out a little bit more about it. Okay, so Reiki originated in Japan in the early half of the 20th century. So it's not actually an ancient healing technique. It was really discovered um, by uh, Mikao um, Asui-sensei, who is the the founder of Reiki. And it's not the only energy healing modality. There are many of them, but it's the one that I have the most interest in at my practice. And the word Reiki literally means soul energy. And so it's interesting how um, Mikao Asui describes that when a practitioner is performing it, then they radiate light and energy. And that's something that I've studied and sort of looked into to try and see is there some form of explanation that I can give to myself as to how this works Um, and there's a few things that I've come up with but 
In practice, what it really means is that you are giving your highest soul energy to the person that you um, are giving it to and, and they are receiving that energy and some benefit is coming to them through that. And looking at the Eastern philosophies of, of things like acupuncture um, and then you've got the Ayurvedic principles and you've got the energy centres in the body that they talk about, you know, the meridians and the chakras. So... These are all areas that Western medicine are not familiar with, I would say. Um, and that's something that I've been really keen to explore. I was going to say, kind of, at no point did my, during my medical training, did we ever have a lecture or anything on energy medicine or anything kind of similar, you know, even acupuncture, anything. No, it's considered a rather woo-woo it, topic. It absolutely is. So, where, <laughs> so whereabouts, kind of, in the last, kind of, since, since graduating from medical school, when did kind of energy medicine become part of your life? Well, I have always had an interest in what makes people tick and what makes people um, feel connected to themselves and each other was something that really fascinated me. And then learning about things like meditation and how that could have very real effects on the body, how it can change you epigenetically and what it gives to your parasympathetic nervous system and how that can be activated and how people have similar activations through mystical experiences. I just find it all really fascinating. And when I've seen patients that have been through dramatic healing journeys, they've always, well, I say they've often started with conventional medicine, but then they've moved further into other modalities that have also been very, very beneficial to them. And so that also piqued my curiosity. So it's been a, a, a number of factors, but essentially... I believe that we're all so much greater than the sum of our parts. And, you know, when I was chopping up dead bodies in my first year of medical school, it became really obvious to me that that's not all we are. And the first time I saw a dead body, that shell of a person, the, the, the essence of the person, their soul, what, what makes them them, is no longer present. And you can see it. I think when you've seen enough dead bodies, you know that that spark behind the eyes is something quite separate from the physical brain. <laughs> I guess that was the beginning of my understanding that, that we're not just the physical, that there's more to it. And what creates mind? What creates thought? Mm -hmm. What is it that creates our thoughts? These electrical sparks. Um, something that we can't see. And there's a lot yeah, that we can't And something we see. can't yet measure. Or... And that we can't yet measure. Yeah. Because we know that, for example, in the electromagnetic um, radiation frequency, the frequencies that we can now measure visible light is actually less than one percent of those and that's again part of the potential explanation that I have created for myself as to why Reiki might be effective but which we can come on to later but there is so much that we can't yet see mm -hmm. and um, and that's 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 what really fascinates me when people experience healing through these modalities that are not just uh, medication or um, surgery or conventional medical training and I've got nothing against that I wouldn't say to anybody not to do that um, but rather I'd say let's do the best combination of of things that we can to promote healing body mind and soul yeah and it was really wonderful obviously with my own experience with being a patient as well it was great to see at the Royal Marsden that they do offer to patients on the chemotherapy unit um, whether it's massage or um, Reiki or kind of complementary therapies um, not not saying 
you know, you should do these instead of chemotherapy, but alongside. And there is evidence, you know, especially for pain, for cancer patients, Reiki. Yes. It can be really powerful. I unfortunately never got the chance to experience it, um, but I will at some point, I'm sure. I'll give you some Reiki. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, you're right, though. You're absolutely right. And now, you know, there are lots of other centres. You mentioned the Royal Marsden, but also places like the University of Arizona Cancer Centre, MD Anderson Cancer Centre, even Yale and Harvard, they're offering Reiki as a complement to the mm -hmm. therapies that they give. And the main evidence for Reiki is around the areas of pain reduction, anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, and there's quite a lot that's been in the last year. Um, so, for example, there was a 2018 study on cancer pain relief after healing touch and massage, and that involved 572 cancer patients. And they found a statistically significant pain reduction after just one session. Again, there was uh, around head and neck cancer patients. This was the previous year, 2017. There was a study done by the National Cancer Institute of Rome where they gave the... Um, Patients who had head and neck cancers and who were undergoing radiotherapy gave them Reiki and they had a, it was a very effective pain-relieving modality for them. And back pain as well. There's a couple of studies I read around back pain. Both of them happened last year. There was um, a randomised control trial with 60 people and they were using three different modalities for coping with the pain of an introvertible disc hernia. And they used Reiki or physio or drugs. Interestingly, both Reiki and physio were statistically significantly greater uh, in their efficacy than the drugs. And so the researchers suggested that actually Reiki could potentially be the preferred method because it has a similar efficacy to physio, but it was actually far more cost effective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, if I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Yes. Um, a sceptic could easily say this is just a placebo effect. Yes. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, they, they could. In, in your relationship as a practitioner, I think we discount our role in the healing process because when you have the most basic interaction with another human, especially in terms of a medical consultation, you're infusing that consultation with a meaning response. You could say that that's arguably just as powerful as a placebo response, which is in itself an incredibly powerful tool. So you have to ask yourself, well, why does that work? What is actually happening with a placebo? Is it the brain? Is it the mind? Is it the soul? Like what, what mm. is fueling the healing? And that's the unknown. That's what we can't measure with these randomised control trials. Yeah, and because there's quite a lot of evidence. It is on actually a physiological level, there's kind of changes happening, isn't there? Exactly. It enables the body to self-heal. Yes, and that's the interesting thing is that we, we discount the placebo effect. We say, oh, well, you know, it's just placebo. But it's, I mean, how powerful mm. is that? And very little, well, very few side effects as well. Which Zero. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> but even if it's something more, uh, I mean, what if, what if energetic healing was more than just placebo? And I don't have any proof that it is more than placebo, but what if it were? And I like to think about this in terms of, um, I mentioned the potential link with electromagnetic radiation. I just keep coming back to what Mikawa uh, Sui said, that, that we radiate light and energy. And it's really interesting that, you know, when you look at matter, all matter emits um, energy in a form of electromagnetic radiation, depending on the temperature that it's, that it's at. Including humans, we, we emit this energy. And we're, we're more in the infrared part of the spectrum. But like I said, there's less than 1% of that spectrum that we can actually see. So... If all matter gives off electromagnetic radiation, and if the smallest 
particle of that radiation is a photon. That's basically light, isn't it? A photon is light particles. So in terms of physics, it's actually true that we are emitting light and energy. Mm, um, energetic beings. We are energetic beings on that most basic, basic level. But also taking it back to physics a little bit, again, I have no, I cannot claim to be a physicist, okay? I'm really not. <laughs> but if I'm trying to search for meaning above and beyond the placebo, then I, I draw on physics to try and help me understand this. And, and when Einstein was studying this, he came up with you know, E equals mc squared, energy is mass times speed of light squared. So clearly the relationship between mass and energy is, is very strong. They are highly connected to each other. And we know that mass can turn into energy, say, for example, with a bomb. And recently physicists have proven that energy can also be turned into mass. And so if, if I bring this back to the practice of Reiki, you're essentially using mass to transmit energy and you're using that um, to affect mass. So on a very basic level, if we are going through life with energetic matter, it makes sense that one could potentially affect the other. Um, and, and when you say, I'm sorry to interrupt, when you say, is it, just to be clear, is it hands-on or hands-off Reiki? So are you touching the client or... I am. You are, okay, because there's different ways of practicing, is that right? Yes, there are different ways. And I studied Western style Reiki. I studied Western style and I studied something called Jikiden Reiki. So it's J-I-K-I-D-E-N, Jikiden, which means in Japanese directly passed down. And there are different ways of doing it. And that's probably in some senses where people differ in their opinions of the effectiveness of Reiki. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying that for me, I found that Jikiden seems to be more... Uh, effective in my practice, in my experience. But basically, the history of it is there was this guy called Mikao Asui and he wanted to reach enlightenment or Satori. Um, perhaps like Buddha and many other people along the way wanted to reach enlightenment. So he told his Zen master that he wanted to reach the stage and he was nearly there. He was pretty wise. And according to what we learned in, in the Jikadan Reiki training, the Zen master said to him, you have learned all you can in this lifetime the only thing you can do to reach enlightenment now is to die. So he thought, oh, okay, well, that's what I shall do. So he went up the mountain, Mount Karama, and he went there to fast to death. And it wasn't fasting for further enlightenment. It was actually for the purpose of no longer being in this form. But after about 20 days, on day 21, he had this electric shock sensation in his brain and he lost consciousness, according to the story. And then when he regained consciousness, he had this tremendous feeling of oneness, enlightenment, that he was the universe and the universe was him. And in his excitement, he ran down the mountain to tell his Zen master what had happened. And of course, then the very real world of matter sort of brought, brought him a bit of a shock because he, he ended up tripping over a, uh, a tree root, okay? Extreme pain, I think his toenail was reported to have fallen off. <laughs> he grabbed his foot and as the story goes, he was very shocked to find that he had healed and the pain had gone. So he told the Zen master and the Zen master said, oh, you must share this, you must share this information and the, the uh, enlightenment that you received. And that's what then began Reiki training. So it was, it was relatively recently. And then he trained a doctor um, who was in the Navy. His name was um, Chijuru Hayashi. And what's really interesting to me is how Reiki then became far more widespread, like where it spread from there and what happened to it in terms of its history. 
this doctor, he trained a lot of different people in the technique. But then in uh, during the war, basically the Second World War, Reiki was not really used anymore. There was, there was a woman that he trained that was from Hawaii. She was a Japanese-American. And she was trained in 1935. He went over to Hawaii to train her, uh, among other people. And then when the war broke out, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. And so it completely died out. There was no, there was no trace of, of, of Reiki. And in Japan, he was not allowed to practice anymore. So Reiki just died out then, really, the, the, the original Jikoden Reiki. But then the lady from Hawaii, 40 years, I think, later, she began to teach it to people in America. And then that's how it spread to the rest of the world, the Western style that she, that she taught them. Her name was um, Hawaiio Takata. So what's interesting about Jikoden is that this doctor that I mentioned, he taught this young girl called Chiyoko Yamaguchi when she was just 17. And she practiced it daily for 65 years, exactly as she had been taught it. And then she taught her son, Tada Yamaguchi. And it was her son that realized that what these people were doing in the West was, was Reiki, which is the same thing that they were doing at home. But it was not quite the same. Um, so then that's when, what made him decide to then try and set up the Jikoden Reiki Institute. So the first seminar that was ever taught in the UK of Jikoden Reiki was actually in 2004. And the person who I learnt it from learnt it from him. So that's basically how Jikoden Reiki became um, used but it's not it's not so well known yeah so, so not to say it's better than but that's kind of the more I guess pure lineage of it I guess oh, it's lovely and what a journey <laughs> Reiki's been on as well it's come on to a where huge, it huge today. yeah huge journey but what I love about Reiki is that when you practice it you have to live by its principles and compassion is seen as the seed of enlightenment and that's what you have to give to your daily life and so there's this thing called the gokai which is the five reiki principles which is what we practiced just before starting yes which is wonderful i really really enjoyed that oh good yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's the way of living and it's a it's it's an ethical framework to allow your soul energy to flow okay and you have, you have to do it for five minutes in the morning and in the evening before you go to bed and I tend to also do it before I do Reiki um, because it helps me to get into that um, in, into that mindset but it's lovely and it, it 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 sort of harks back to a lot of other healing practices for the self in terms of things like meditation as well so it's kyo dake wa ikaruna shinpai suna kanshashite gyo o hagame hituni shinsetsuni and that means just for today, do not be angry, do not worry, be grateful, do your duties and be kind to all living things. And if you're thinking oh, that's those things... beautiful, that is lovely. It is, it is beautiful. And it comes back again, I'm thinking about the, the first line as well, it means to be present, just for today. Don't worry, don't worry about the past, don't, don't worry about the future, just be in the present moment. And if you abide by these principles in the present moment, then that's what brings... Yeah, your energy forward so I think it's wonderful that's the essence of it I mean Chiyoko sensei the the young 17 year old that practiced it for 65 years and taught it to her son she was asked what is what does Reiki mean to you and she just said love it just means love to me and that's what you have to come to it with a sense of that that's your your intention mm, open-heartedness so. open-heartedness and that's interesting to me in terms of why it might work as well because the power of intention is something that really fascinates me. Um, if you look at the way 
subatomic particles behave. If you look at the atom, okay, so the atom... The atom is the building block of everything in the known universe. We've got the nucleus in the middle, and then we've got this big empty space around the outside, this field of energy or electrons, okay? And 99.9999999% of the atom is basically this empty space or energetic frequency. And so most of the universe that we know is made up of this empty space or energetic frequency. And the electrons that are within that space don't appear to be subject to the same laws that govern matter in the larger universe. So, for example, they move around seemingly unpredictably. Researchers have found that when an observer focuses attention on the field around the nucleus of the atom, the wave function collapses and forms into an electron. It's called a quantum event. And they've also found, this is interesting, so researchers at the Griffiths University in Australia found that electrons can also pass through solid matter in a quantum process called quantum tunnelling instantaneously. And this is something that's kind of mind-blowing, that mm. electrons can do this stuff, right? And it's, it's in sort of direct... It's, it's an incompatible description of reality when you, when you think about what Einstein has proven through his theories of relativity and quantum mechanics has proven on a subatomic level. These are essentially basically incompatible descriptions of reality. And how do we marry the two? How do we come to an understanding of the world which, in which both of those make sense? Physicists are trying to do that, and they're using maths to do that. And they've come up with um, loop theory and, and string theory. With loop theory, what they say is that we're living in a cyclical universe in a never-ending loop, which means that the Big Bang was preceded by an era of contraction. So we're just on this constant contracting, expanding, contracting, expanding loop. Okay? And using those mathematical principles, you could begin to align the theory of relativity with the quantum mechanics that we see on a subatomic level. The other potential theory, again, this is not proven, but mathematically, physicists are trying to suggest that there's another theory called string theory, which suggests the presence of extra dimensions. And they're, they're mathematically trying to work this out. And it would be a framework of reality that would require the presence of extra spatial dimensions. And so they're doing research into these gravitational waves and how this could be proven. None of it has been proven as yet. But my point in telling you all this is that there's a lot that we don't understand about how the world works. And when I say the world, I don't just mean planet Earth. I mean how how things are subatomically, how things are on a massive macroscopic scale. We don't really understand it. But my thoughts are that if electrons can behave in these very strange ways, okay, if they can move around, change shape and form based on observation, could they also be affected by intention, which is what energetic healing is about. It's about intention to heal. Could that be possible? And there's this really interesting study that I found that proves that it potentially could be possible. This was a study done by a guy called René Payoc. And this doctor basically wanted to understand, could the power of intention change matter? So Is this a recent study or...? Um, it's relatively recent. It's in the last mm -hmm. 30 years, okay. I think. What he did, he built this random event generator, a robot, and he built um, an arena for the robot to move around in. And because it was a random event generating robot, 50% of the time it would move one way, 50% of the time it would move another way. And when he kept the robot in the arena long enough, it would basically cover the whole arena over time equally. So then what he did was that he did an experiment where he got newly hatched baby chicks. This is actually really cruel. 
but anyway, <laughs> it does it does provide an interesting um, observation. So he got newly hatched baby chicks, and what chicks do when they hatch is they imprint on their mum, and then they follow the mum around. And so he got these newly hatched baby chicks, and he got them to imprint upon the robot. So there they were. First thing they see is the robot. They start following the robot around the room. Then he puts them in a cage so they can't follow the robot anymore. But clearly their intention is to follow the robot. So in the resulting experiments, what he noticed was that the random event-generating robot stayed in the half of the arena where the chicks were caged by the side of the arena and didn't go to the other side of the arena. So what he was able to see and demonstrate was that the caged chicks next to the arena had the intention of being close to the robot and that this could potentially have influenced the random movements of this robot. <laughs> Hang on, wait there. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. It it's totally mind-blowing that a robot okay, could be affected by the intention of these little baby mm. chicks. So if you could think to yourself, if, if that's possible, if that's even possible, what could be possible with the power of intention in our own lives. Yeah, definitely. And we, there's so much that we are yet to understand and kind of figure out. So um, I love that you come through that, you know, you come at everything from such a scientific lens, which is so wonderful. You know, your work with nutrition, you're always looking kind of for the evidence base. Um, and then you've got this other side of you that is obviously, <laughs> you know, spiritual, kind of open to, you know, what else is out there. Um, but again, thank you so much for bringing all this science. Um, and like you said, it, it's not proven. There's a lot of kind of question marks still, but it just shows and suggests that, it's, you know, it's worth exploring this. And there's a reason that this energy medicine has been handed down through generations. You know, it hasn't died out because it, it helps in some way. We just don't maybe know exactly how it helps. Yeah, exactly. So there's me on my meandering journey through physics and quantum mechanics to try and understand it. And, you know, we don't, we don't understand it. But I feel that that, that doesn't mean that there's not something in it. Um, and we have to keep an open mind. Do you actually um, work with patients, clients, friends, family with this medicine? Or is it something that you've just studied for your own kind of intrigue? You no, know, I, I, have, I have done. And um, I've noticed some interesting effects with it, certainly in terms of pain relief, definitely. And I notice it for myself too. It's a wonderful modality because I think much like meditation, it offers you a very real, a very real opportunity to be with yourself with your highest self and experience yourself on a different level to what you would otherwise experience. So yeah, I, I find it quite powerful personally mm. and also for other people, for sure. And what about colleagues? Have you shared with colleagues at the GP surgery? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. Um, and they've been very open to it, um, especially when they see that people feel better, which really helps. I think sometimes... To know something is true, it does help to see evidence that it's true. And this is where energy medicine falls down in, in the eyes of a lot of people because there's no subjective evidence. But the objective evidence is there when people notice effects in their own lives. And when we were doing the Jikadun training, it was interesting because Tadao Yamaguchi um, was talking about how people would come to his mother's house for healing. And these are people who'd already been given up on in terms of medical therapies. They weren't doing anything alternative. They were just doing the only thing that they had left. And these people were getting better. You know, they were improving their um, renal diseases and cancers and things like that. So who are we to say that it doesn't do something? And I think that healing is so complicated. Healing has to come from within. 
And that's different from simply like, providing medication or surgery. And yes, of course, it's highly useful. You know, you're going to want, if you, if you have an accident, you're going to want to be patched up, you're going to want to get fixed. And that's, you know, modern medicine is tremendous. But healing, real healing, body, mind and soul doesn't come from that arena. It comes from something different. And that's what I'm really interested in as another thing that people can use and, um, and benefit from in their lives. And this is why why I started this podcast in the first place. It's not on any level to suggest that anything that we're going to be discussing could replace conventional medicine, but just that we need to be open to things we don't yet understand, things we don't yet know, as long as the patient is safe, as long as it doesn't have a detrimental effect on their care. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think that emotions and intentions are really important for healing too, to create change in our lives. I've seen that with my patients. And this is, you know, nothing to do with energy medicine or anything like that. This is just to do with human nature. If you, you know, if you put energy and intention into something, then um, it tends to change your results. And I think that's the same in all sorts of things. But I think that can also be applied to healing. Yeah, absolutely. And the kind of patient-physician relationship is so key to that. And yeah. quite often with the time limits and everything else going on, you just simply don't always have the time to show that love and compassion, which, you know, can be that added ingredient that maybe helps kickstart the healing journey for a patient. Absolutely. And you know, it, it can be incredibly powerful. It's funny because I recently did a talk about how to medical professionals about how to help patients enact change in their lives. It's, it's pretty basic. It's more around a motivational interviewing, but you have to put the intention behind it. You have to want to help them um, whilst also getting your ego out of it and letting go of the outcome because it has to be their decision and their journey but if you can facilitate that journey however you can then all the better I know that you're a huge advocate for lifestyle medicine and you are known as a plant-powered doctor you kind of nutrition is is your thing really um, so lifestyle medicine this movement that's really happened in the last kind of five years in the UK and encompasses you know, diet, exercise, and stress management techniques. But I still feel there's a slight an element missing. And for me, it's this psycho-spiritual level that we've been really discussing today. Um, I'd love to know what you think about that. I think that, I think that you're right. We have the biopsychosocial model and we know that um, it's important to eat food that essentially is good information for, for body healing. But it's the same with making sure that we have great sleep and um, that we control the stresses in our lives, we have more love and connection. This is all stuff that's kind of coming into the mainstream. But I would say the emphasis to this point has been nutrition. There's a lot of arguments around nutrition, and that's something that I tr really try to steer away from as much as I can. Um, and I have been known predominantly for talking about nutrition in my, um, certainly sort of when I'm on Instagram, that's what I talk about most. Um, but really, it's not just nutrition. That's one tiny aspect of healing. My interest is in whole body healing. But what I found to be um, the most immediately impactful and helpful way of getting people to think differently about how their mind works is to just give them healing things to put on their plates. And then <laughs> that's one way of getting there. So once, they, once they've got something that's good information for their cells to work properly, then their minds can start thinking of other possibilities in their lives. And then that can turn into um, a whole new attitude to what time they go to bed or when they decide to go out and exercise or what they decide to do next. It's kind of like a domino effect. So 
it's one route to healing, but it's by no means the only thing. And I'm hopeful that the lifestyle medicine movement will incorporate these other aspects at some point. I think you're definitely right about it almost being an entry-level point it's to an entry. healing. It's an entry to healing. And, and on a personal level, diet, nutrition was the first thing I addressed after following my cancer diagnosis. Um, I think it's something that you can also do that gives a sense of control. Yes. And there's so much evidence now for the, the power of food. So, um, yeah, that was definitely my entry point. And then over the last kind of five years, I've added in more of the yoga and the meditation and... More of the energy medicine, finally, yes. is the, the kind of cherry on the top. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, do you know, you know the work of Dr. Kelly Turner? Yeah. 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 It was one of the first books I read, um, yeah, Radical Remission. Yes, exactly. You know, these, these are people who have outlived their prognosis. I think they had less than 20% chance of a five-year survival. And there are over a thousand people she was interviewing. And you're so right that they, yes, they all had whole foods, plant foods, organic, filter water, supplements. They did all this stuff. But what it really came down to as well was they had other things in common which are far more holistic. You know, they released suppressed emotions. They took control. They took control of their health journey. Um, I think it's out of the nine factors, only two were physical. Although she's just added in, in her latest edition, exercise, because I think that was actually missing. But yeah, to have three out of ten factors yes. kind of identified exactly. as, you know, as physical and the rest kind of spiritual, mental, emotional factors. Exactly. Deepening their sort of spiritual connection, they're having a reason for living, increasing their positive emotions, releasing negative ones. Like These are big. This is a big deal. Mm. And we're missing a trick when we don't talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Um, so I am trying to talk about it, but um, it's, it's sort of a hard path to walk because my worry is that it means that I won't necessarily be taken so seriously if I talk about these things that are more ethereal or more difficult to, yeah. to, to measure. But we know from healing that they are very real factors. And so if we don't start to talk about it and don't start to analyse it, then people don't get any the help that they need. So. Yeah, and this is, again, a huge driver behind starting these conversations is to really empower people to know that there are things that they can be doing alongside receiving potentially medical help or whatever it is that they need for support. It's really just putting the power back into the patient or the client's hands um, alongside everything else. Yes, and that's what we haven't done for so for, for so many decades now. I know. And people losing their own power really inhibits their healing. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of doctors do, is they don't tend to empower their patients um, in the way that, that, that they could. Um, and that's a lot of... A lot of cancer is like that. It's all about fear and um, handing over control to the practitioner who will try to fix you and if not they will try to palliate you and that is what you have to go through and that's it mm -hmm. but that's not the path to healing of course it's important to talk about the options but you have to feel empowered you have to feel like it's your choice it's your decision and what does it all mean to you and bringing your most positive emotions with it and it's really hard to do mm. because there's so much fear isn't there there's so much fear but we can't live in fear and fear is never the root of healing. It has to come from love, has to come from gratitude, from, from compassion for yourself and for your body and what your body is going through. Um, self-love, self-compassion. And it's just bringing it back almost to the, the topic of energy, but 
love is such an expansive yes. emotion and fear is so constrictive and you feel yes. it don't you when you walk into a room and if someone's radiating love and compassion you can feel that energy um there's a lightness to them an ease you want to be around them if someone's full of fear and scarcity it's it's quite repelling yes energy is obviously such a huge topic it and, is um it's it's impossible to to really discuss in, a, in an hour but is there anything for the listeners that you have either just for on a personal level you've noticed helps conserve your energy or maybe through your work with nutrition is there anything that you can recommend just simple tips that people can use to help just replenish their energy levels well, yes. I mean, having nourishing food is obviously important. It's food that's going to give your body the right building blocks to um, you know, create a healthy body. So whole food, plant-based diet, that's why I advocate for that. Flax seeds are a real winner because they are tremendous for so many different things. Um, turmeric, clearly. Um, I'm on the turmeric brigade. Anyone's going to be sniffing out woo-woo today, <laughs> but it's amazing. Yeah, I take the turmeric every day and also put it in my juices. It raw, is. It's, so. it's brilliant. All those, uh, you know, curcuminoids, it does tremendous things for the body. Sleep. Mm, sleep is so important. One. Yeah, definitely. Huge. That's probably my weak spot is sleep. I tend to stay up late studying when I should be sleeping. Um, Do you manage to put your phone in another room or you're a late night scroller? Um, I have I have blue light blocking glasses Great. that I wear, <laughs> and I I have taken to putting my phone in another room recently. I tend it's hard though, isn't it? it is yeah, it's a real discipline. It is. You have to stay focused. Yeah. Um, my number one tip for healing um, and creating good energy in your life is gratitude, 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 which is very difficult to do when you're in a situation that you don't want to be in. Yeah. But trying to reach for that emotion that you can embody that emotion and think of something that you can feel grateful for helps to get you on the spiral to a better version of your life, of yourself, that can then lead to more good things. Yeah, and it might not be that you're, you're grateful for the actual thing that you're, that's happening in that moment, but if you can just find a lesson or some wisdom within that that yes. you can be grateful for, that you know it will help your evolution yes just by kind of so sometimes I think it's just a slight shift in perspective yes some, it is it's so difficult sometimes to be gr grateful for something that's happening to you yes um, but if I you're mean, grateful especially for the in lesson, your own story yeah. <laughs> I mean you've been through so much how did you start to feel grateful I think that it was a very subtle it wasn't a conscious choice to feel really grateful I think stage four cancer gives you a new lens to look through life and every day I got to wake up became a gift. Yes. Um, because it, it was very nearly not going to be the case. And what is lovely is that I have clung on to that. Mm. And, and not always. Sometimes when I'm having a really bad day at work, I, I forget to be, you know, and I have to come back to the leaves on the tree or the, you know, the fact I'm just sitting, breathing. Um, and it's really subtle. It's, you know, but it, it's, it's really nice to have that newfound awareness and gratitude for the day yes and that i do believe that that's one of the cornerstones of good healing and disease prevention as well is is the concept of gratitude and love and that everything else stems from that all the behaviors that we choose that are healing and um, choosing to put foods in our bodies that are going to help with the healing process choosing to go to bed earlier because you know you want to be on good form the next day it's about self-love and, and, and gratitude for what you have. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's the root of everything. 
so I guess it's not really a practical tip but it's more of a it's more of a concept of mind and, and emotion and then that emotion can then help you with all the other practical aspects of your day I love that so much. Thank you so much, Gemma. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. It's and to meet you face to face for the first time. It was an absolute joy. I Thank thoroughly you. enjoyed it. And um, you made it a very gentle process for me in coming out with my <laughs> energy <laughs> well, medicine. I hope that this interest. is the first of many podcasts where you're going to be going forward, taking your energy medicine with wisdom with you. I hope so. Thank you. My pleasure. Just want to take a moment to invite you to join the Holistic Healing Inner Circle, an online group membership for self-healing, community and transformation. Doors open on the 15th of January and will be starting on the 29th of January. The Holistic Healing Inner Circle is a monthly membership that will provide you with the tools, knowledge, support and community to keep you moving forward, body, mind, heart and soul. Each month we have monthly masterclasses, group calls, meditations, journaling prompts and a book club. There's also access to a private online community where you will be witnessed on your healing journey. If you're interested in joining us, please head on over to my website, drlaurenmcdonald.com and check it out. I really look forward to supporting your healing and transformation. Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.